0: Welcome to, hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast brought to you by Crack Rackets. My name is Alex Gruskin. Today's podcast format is going to be a little bit different. It will just be me steering the ship. Unfortunately, Max, Jamie, Gornett, Stokowiak, all busy with work during the day, and we wanted to get this Day 2 recap out to you listeners before Day 3 began, give you something to listen to, not only on your ride home as you're commuting, but something to listen to as the opening matches begin tonight. You know, it's 7 p.m., you want to recap anything you missed the day before. You can listen to this episode as well as all of our episodes from the previous week, and as a matter of fact, if you've missed anything from the Australian Open thus far, be sure to check out our website, CrackRackets.com. We'll be keeping you up to date for the next two weeks with all the Australian Open coverage you could ever want. Our whole team, as I mentioned, Gornett, Stokowiak, Jamie, Rothman, Christian Harris, Kale Hammond, Bo Anna Bright, Parson Amati, Ryan Cardiff, and of course, Dalton and Westoff and Fliegner, will be coming with you, to you guys all week long with some good stuff, so be on the lookout for that. Also, if you want more instant updates, check out our social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We'll have videos coming out later this weekend with some of our authors' takes on what they think to look for moving forward in this slam. Also, I'll ask you guys, if you haven't already, rate, review, subscribe, but listen to this podcast as well as our other podcast, The Correct Interviews Pod. We've had some great guests on there. Rothman got the chance to go out to an event in California and interview Sam Query, UTR head Stephen Amritage, Oregon senior Thomas Laurent, so a ton of great content content on there and of course if you've missed any of our other conversations with college tennis players, college coaches, any of the next gen Americans, you'll find those on that feed as well. But let's get into these matches because there are a lot of great oh you know what? I'm gonna scratch that. I don't have anyone to debate with me, so I will be arguing with myself throughout this pod. Day two in terms of, you know, the round one singles matches, a little bit on the boring side. Not too many upsets. You know, a lot of the names we thought were going to move through did move through. That being said, there were some great matches, and I want to break a couple of them down. I think the match we have to start with is Heon Chung versus Bradley Klon. You look at that match, that's a match Heon Chung wins 6-7, 6-7, 6-3, 6-2, 6-4, I mean, if you watch the match, it was as much of a grind as you could imagine because these guys were just going at it from the baseline physically. I mean, Hyun Chung, if you haven't gotten a chance to watch him by now... He's a relentless attacker from the baseline, Djokovic-esque in his style of play in terms of he's going to try and move the ball around side to side deep with pace. He's not afraid to back take the backhand down the line, and when you're playing a lefty like Bradley Klon, the backhand down the line is so important because for Klon on the backhand side, he's you know, much more willing to slice that ball. In fact, he rarely ever hits through it from the baseline. You know, that being said, Bradley Klon played a great match, and you look at some of the stats from this one, you know, in terms of aces versus double faults, Klon hits twenty two aces in this match. That's really incredible. And I mean free points when you're playing Hian Chung so important, especially in that Australian heat, because otherwise you really will wear down. So you know to get twenty two free points off his serve, really important. Only four double faults, so you know, despite him clearly being aggressive, it worked in his favor. He makes sixty four percent of his first serves, wins seventy one percent of his first serve points, even wins fifty nine percent of his second er, Sorry, yes, 59% of his second serve points. Really a good effort from him overall, but you look at the things from Heon Chung, man, his level really improved as this match went on. You look at the stats from him. Ten aces against two double faults. Chung's not a guy with a huge serve, so ten aces pretty impressive for him. Makes 70% of his first serve points, winning 80% of those points. So crucial for him because as we saw earlier this year, when he's forced to hit second serves, you know, he's forced to play on the defensive. And yes, he's incredibly quick, but no guy wants to spend five sets. Tracking down every ball on the defensive, you know, for Chung even more importantly, he wins 66% of his first serve points and win or of his second serve points. And when you watch this match, Klon's inability to put Chung on the defensive on every you know second serve return that was really his downfall. Because when he was getting into the court, when he was using his forehand to dictate. He was really dominating the rallies, and for Chung, it's a credit to him, man. He was disciplined. He he implemented his game plan really staunchly in that third set and moving forward of, I'm going to continue to attack the Klon backhand side. Wait for my moment, and only in those exact moments when I have enough open court, when I think I can really get Klon stretched, will I attack the ad side of the court where the klon lefty forehand sits um, in terms of net points klon 23 of 37 62 percent good job by him he on chung 19 of 27 70 percent again when klon gets stretched he's forced to hit a lot of backhand slices and chung did a good job moving forward cutting those balls off uh, some of the last things in this match you know chung hits 34 winners against 35 unforced errors not great You know, he's not a guy with overwhelming power, so that's a ratio when he's around even. Still pretty good. For Bradley Klon, 58 winners is outstanding, 84 unforced errors is tough, and I think that just is a testament to the fact that Chung really was getting him moving side to side so often. The last thing I'll say total points in this match 164 for Chung, 145 for Klon. If you actually watch this match, despite the fact that it went five sets, I think that's fairly accurate. Chung dominated a lot of the play. Obviously, Klons able to take two tiebreakers in those first two sets. And in terms of break points, you know, Klon only goes one of two. It's not as though he had a ton of break chances, and I believe he got one of those breaks back in the fourth set uh, when Chung was up a double break, and Klon had to take an injury timeout, which is also something we should mention. Klon also got called for three foot faults in this match, and. I sympathize with him. He got frustrated by that because in a Grand Slam match, Bradley Klon has hit 7 million fucking serves and you're going to tell me he's foot faulting? I mean, that's ridiculous on the line, Judge, to try and assert himself in that moment. I don't necessarily know that I like it. That being said, if he calls it three times, clearly it was something Klon was doing consistently and so... I guess you just have to call it, but I think Klon let that get under his skin a little bit. And if you're not focused locked in, Hyun Chung will take advantage of that because, again, he is just so physically imposing, not necessarily with a heavy ball, but just how... he is at moving side to side. So in the end, Hyun Chung outlasted Klan, and you worry about Chung moving forward because this was a physically exerting match, but in this next one, he lines up with uh, pierre Hughes Herbert, a servant volleyer, obviously a guy known for his doubles play, so that could be a quicker match that benefits Chung, and if you're Hyun Chung, you've got to feel good moving forward because this was a tough match. You could have quit down, you know, 7-6, 7-6. A lot of different things could have gone against uh, Hyun in this moment, and instead, he persevered. He played really well well the crowd was loving him oh my god at one point the crowd you can hear them audibly through the stream going Chung fans in the stands let me hear you clap your hands and that was probably my favorite cheer of the second day in fact the Australian fans they just know what they're doing but you know successful win for Hyun Chung he'll take it for Klon Would have loved to have that match, but nothing to hang your head on. You got into this main draw on your ranking. You've got a chance to accumulate a ton of points moving forward as you get into ATP events. You know, don't be surprised if you hear more from Bradley Klon this season, and definitely don't be surprised if you hear more from Heon Chung in this tournament. All right, let's move on to our next match. You know, there were again, it was tough to pick which matches to break down because a lot of these matches were similar in terms of they were close, but in the end, the winner either who we expected prevailed or they were just blowouts. The match I want to talk about next number 17, Dominic Teams win over Benoit Paire. That's a match he wins 6 4, 6 3, 5 7, 6 3. And if I'm being honest, I don't really think Pear had a chance in this one. Like I understand, he stole uh, the third and fourth sets. If you think about it, you know, you look at a score like this: team losing that third set. I think he threw away the fourth set, and I think it was reflected in his effort. He was going for drop shots. He was, you know, not being nearly as disciplined in attacking the pair forehand side. Something who, whenever you play Benoit Pear, you know, you know you have to do that because Benoit's backhand is very, very, very good. You know the first two sets, team played clinic style tennis. He he was attacking Benoit's forehand, only stretching the court to Benoit's backhand when he knew he could really open things up, and then maybe even sneak forward. I thought team even served well. He makes fifty eight percent of his first serve points, winning sixty six percent of the second serve points. The problem for him was whenever he hit a second serve, and Benoit, paired to his credit, runs around forehand returns to hit backhands inside out, down the line, cross court angle. He's got all of the tools at his display on the. Back backhand slide holds team to winning 49% of his second serve points and that was an issue for team and certainly something to circle moving forward now you look at it on the bright side for team you know benoit pair in this match only makes 51% of his first serve points so he's forced to play a ton of second serve points you know team holds him to under 50% pair only wins 45% of those second serve points you know it, it team played aggressive tennis. He knew he just had to be disciplined because Benoit Paire did not have the tools really to beat him over the course of a five set match. Now to Paire's credit, you know, he comes to the net 49 times, wins 29 of those attempts. He was not afraid to change direction, not afraid to go for drop shots because we all know how far behind the baseline Dominic team likes to play. And he kept team on his toes. He did test him, certainly. That third set he gets the break with a net cord return going just over and you know, team had so many break points in the third set, so can only imagine how frustrated he was after that. But I thought Dominic did a really good job of writing himself, you know. Staying focused, preparing, knowing that he was the better player, the more talented player, and that if he executed his game plan, he would win. And he wins that fifth set relatively comfortably with a 6-3 score. You know, both guys had a ton of break points in this match. Pair goes 5 of 14. Team goes 5 of 16. The big thing for Dominic Team, and I mentioned this already the net points, man. He goes 26 of 34. I don't know who I'm saying man to, but the net points, he goes 26 of 34, converting 76%. He did a great job of knowing when he had pair stretch to take time away because Benoit Pair is just not a guy you want lingering around. And I think if there's any takeaway for him moving forward, That's the thing, is don't be afraid to move forward. Be confident, because even though you're not the best volleyer, you know, Dominic Team can open up the court so well with his ground strokes, and it just, there's no reason for him not to continue working on that moving forward, because if volleying can become a part of his game, look out ATP 2 or uh, 4 team now. He matches up with Alexi Papyrin, the Australian wild card. You gotta love that if your team, after being pushed 5 sets with Pair, this is really his one chance at... We'll call it a break in the action in terms of it a less stressful hypothetically match, though it'll be tough to have the crowd against him. You know, moving forward, he's got the winner of Puy martyrer after that if he advances and then potentially Chorich in a round four matchup. Good to get your bearings under you now if you're Dominic team. but moving forward, if you're up two sets to love, if you have as many break chances as Dominic team does in the third, you have to finish that match in straight sets, and I'm sure that's what Dominic was talking about with his team after the match. <coughs> All right, the last match I want to talk about, well, I I should restate that. I don't want to talk about it, but I think we have to talk about it. Jack Sock, man. Jack Sock loses to Alex Bolt, the Australian wild card, 4-6, 6-3, 6-2, 6-2. And Sock's effort in this match does not deserve to be talked about, but the reason I'm going to mention it you know, sock stole Tommy Paul's wild card. This wild card into the Australian Open for the you know the reciprocal wild card, the Australian Open, as well as the USTA give one another uh, so that their players can get the opportunity to make a main draw like this. Players who have been struggling or players who are trying to make their breakthrough. That's such a valuable opportunity, and I just would have preferred to see Tommy Paul in this match. Jack Sock's effort. He just doesn't know what he wants to do on the court anymore. And it's it's painful to watch because Sock is so talented. No one's going to deny that. But in this match, you know, he makes 68% of his first serves, wins 61% of those points. Pretty good. But, you know, he only wins 47% of his second serve points going 17 of 36, goes 11 of 20 at the net. You know, a locked-in Jack Sock is at the net far more often than that. And even worse, when you watch this match, I mean, Sock's standing in no man's land. He's trying to take balls as volleys from the baseline. He's trying to end points. He's never afraid to go big down the line. Uh, I don't know. I made the mistake in my tourney of having Jack Sock into the third round. Obviously, if I could go back, I, I would not do that. I don't know what I was thinking. And I think my policy moving forward has to be I'm going to have Jack Sock lose in the first round of every major until I see he can do otherwise, because now we see a pattern. Now we see a trend, and there was every reason in this match for Sock to come out motivated. And, you know, you can't quantify motivation, but watch the match. Watch his body language. He only wins 24% of his receiving points. Too often he goes down, you know, 40-15 and just throws away that game. It's not easy going against an Australian player in Australia, and the crowd was all in on bull T. Bowl T, but uh, if Jamie were here, you know Jamie's the biggest Jack sock defender I know. He he would be agreeing with me. I mean, it, sock just looked aimless out there. There was no rhyme or reason to any of the things he does, and that's concerning. You know, two out of three, he's got enough weapons where he can stay locked in for that time period, maybe steal a match from anyone. But three out of five. I just don't see it anymore. And I know I haven't mentioned Alex Bolt, who really did play some good tennis in this match. Made 62% of his first serve point uh, of first serves, wins 83% of those points, 59% of his second serve points, an efficient 16 of 19 at the net. You know, 56 winners for Bolt against only 29 unforced errors, but for Sock I mean, that's the takeaway. 31 winners against 39 unforced errors. He deserves to be ranked where he is right now. And I'm not saying, you know, Jack Sock can't come back, can't make something out of this 2019 season because it's only fucking Australia right now. You know, we still have so much tennis ahead of us. But this is just... The worst possible opening scenario for Jack Sock to his 2019 season—he's not going to get the chance to accumulate a bunch of points. I'm pretty sure he's going to have to dip down into the challenger circuit, and I don't mean that to be demeaning. But for any player who was in the top 10 as recently as, you know, the Janu- uh, January of 2018, it's shocking, and I think. This will be one of the storylines we're going to have to monitor all season long is what is going on with Jack Sock. Are we even going to see him at the majors if he doesn't play doubles? You know, just what are we going to do? (coughs) All right, let's look at the rest of these matches, though, from day two. Uh, You know, I'm sorry for repeating myself again, but nothing too shocking happened you look at some of the American results from the round I mean if I would have told you Djokovic beats Kruger in straight sets Simone beats Fratangelo in straight sets you would have been like yeah okay but what else happened on this day you know Ryan Harrison gets a great win against Yuri Vesely 607563 Vesely the former world junior number one uh Big, I think six six lefty, big serve, you know, dangerous on a hard court. And Ryan Harrison played some outstanding tennis. You know, he lost that Brisbane final points from 2018. He needs to accumulate some points here if he wants to have a chance to stay in the top 100. And this is a huge win for him. So very happy to see that. Will be fun watching him moving forward. I think he's got a tough. Yep, he's got Daniil Medvedev round two. If any match is going to end in a brawl, that is certainly the one I would circle. But he's got a chance. I mean, Ryan Harrison is a tough. Out- three out of five physically he can hang with anyone so it'll be very very fun to watch the last american result of the day pierre user bear knocks out sam query five seven seven six six three six one you know the query conundrum deserves its own episode to be talked about but i don't know jonathan kelly you know our friend at joe kelly underscore tennis was talking to max and i in our group chat and We just don't know what to make with Query at this point of his career. You know, he wins in California in December. Maybe that's the Rothman effect. Whenever Rothman's there, he plays well. But this is a very winnable match for him. And Herbert's is a talented young Frenchman. You know, there's not a lot of things he can't do on a court, but... You're Sam Querrey. You know you've made two major semifinals. You should not be losing in first rounds, especially you know when you've had a full off season to train. So just not a great result from him. But some of the other results on the day: Alex Virev, the four seed, routine win over Bedene, six four, six one, six four. He looked great. Nishikori, you know, tested to five sets, ends up winning 3-6, 6-7, 6-0, 6-2, 3-0, retirement in the fifth. I was never worried. I really thought Nishikori was going to pull that up. I thought he played Camille Matzurek, who I believe is the young Polish player. Uh, I'll, I'll check that later on, but he, you know, Camille played outstanding in those first two sets, and I don't think Nishikori did a lot wrong. It's just really hard to beat someone when they're playing that well, and then, you know the ship was sort of righted. And I know that 3-0 retirement, you may think Camille was you know, cramping or something, but that's what happens when you have to beat a top-ten player in the world three out of five physically. It's going to be draining. So Nishikori showed a good level. I think moving forward, he'll be fine as well. Borna George looks great in a 6-1, 6-4, 6-4 win over Steve Darcy. So does Daniil Medvedev in his 6-1, 6-2, 6-1 demolition of Lloyd Harris. Both young guys who are on the Djokovic side of the draw for Medvedev. I think he's got Djokovic round four for Chorich. I think we mentioned he would have team round four Zverev in the quarterfinals. Very, very plausible scenarios to see these guys in the second week. Maybe even upsetting a top seed because you're not going to find players in much better form than those two. Number 12 seed Fabio Fognini takes out young next gen player Haomi Munar, 767631 retirement. Munar clearly suffering from cramps, really played well the first two sets. And I think Fognini's ripe for an upset, so that's something to monitor moving forward um you had David Goffin, Pablo Correa Busta, Denis Shapovalov, Luca Pui and Philip Kohlschreiber and I'm sorry for not mentioning Shapovalov in the same breath as Church and Medvedev because he played great today. I just I need to see a little bit more from him before I put him in that air, but all of those seeds moving on, you know, one, I haven't mentioned two seeds yet. One of them was upset, the other one Milos Raonic and Nick I I'm going to talk about Rayonich Kyrgios for a second because for Rayonich he wins the match 6-4 7-6 6-4. You know, it's always tough when you play Nick Kyrgios because how is Nick Kyrgios not going to be the story? That being said, Rayonich played some good f***ing tennis. He looked really good. The serve was booming, the forehand was booming. He was taking returns early and jamming at Kyrgios, the ball at Kyrgios's feet and when Kyrgios doesn't have time to set, you know, he's a completely different player. Milos looked good, and I know Stan, you know, he not now matched up with Stan Warinka, who beat Ernest Goldbus, 3 6 3 1 retirement. You know, Warinka didn't really show anything too great in that match. Raonish might be the biggest underdog left in the, draw, in the draw. You know, he holds serve, and, you know, he hit his forehand so well. He even on the defensive, when he got stretched on the forehand, went for it down the line, and to his credit in this match, he was making all of them. He made some incredible volleys. He's going to put pressure on any returner by serving and volleying. You know, Nick Kyrgios, frustrating as always. The talent oozes with every shot, and yet he just wants to have so much fun on there. Another guy who seems to always be stuck in no man's land trying to hit volleys and get into volley exchanges. But credit to Raonic, He played really well, and I don't want, you know, the Kyrgios... Effect to be put on this match because Milos deserves all of the credit. The only seed who fell today, Philip Krajinovic, who uh, knocks out, Mar- oh, sorry, I should say Marco Cecchinato, the number 17 seed, who loses to former Paris Masters finalist, Philip Krajanovic, 4606617664. You know, Chechenato's a clay guy. I, I haven't seen enough from him on the hard courts to really consider this that big of an upset. And in fact, when you look through the first round, the only seeds who have lost thus far, Isner, Edmund, Chechenato, and Johnson, the only real upset of that group, probably Opelka over Isner. And, you know, when you lose three tiebreaker sets, that just happens. I don't even think Isner didn't deserve to win the match. There really haven't been that many shocking results through round one. I think that sets us fans up for an incredible round two. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities for guys to break through. I think a lot of guys are going to have to play. Uh, you know, other t- very talented players, maybe even seeds left. So we are in for some good tennis moving forward. Uh, I mentioned the Warrenka wins, the other guys who got wins on day two. Song over, on in straights. He now has Djokovic. That'll be a fun one. Uh, Chardy takes out Hugo Humbert in five sets. And in fact, Jeremy Chardy is the first male player to utilize the fifth set tiebreak, which they play to 10 uh, at Australia now. So that's always interesting. Didn't get a chance to watch that one, but. Jeremy Chardee is my guy, so I have to give him a shout-out there. Another guy we met at Stowe, Max Martyr, wins in straight sets over Sakharov. Leonardo Mayer takes out my fourth-round guest pick, Nikolaj Jerry, in four sets. I thought Jerry could have won the match. He just made the mistake of losing the first two tiebreakers, and when you dig yourself that big of a hole, it's really hard to come back. Tanasi Kokonakis loses a heartbreaker to Taro Daniel, five seven four two retired. I mean... Kokonakis is just so talented. He just he can't fight the injury bug, and it's it's crushing to see. You could tell the fans were equally devastated as Kokonakis is an Australian guy, so just a tough one to watch. But still, I'll always take a flyer whenever it's a Tenacity Kokonakis match. I always got to watch the cock in action. Um, Divashka takes out Jaziri 46766140 oh, retire. A lot of these retirements, some were cramps, some were guys who came into matches with injuries, so take it all with a grain of salt. It's hot, but it's not scalding hot in Australia, at least not yet. Don Skoy takes out Laszlo Jira in four sets, Kopal over granolas in three. Fuksovrs over Ramos Vinoles in four sets. Australian wildcard Papyron over Zverev in three, and then Jau Sousa taking out Guido Pella in five sets. But the the last match I'll mention from day two, Ivo Karlovic, who I believe became the oldest man to ever win a match in singles at a Slam, takes out Hubert Hurkacz, the young Polish player, six seven seven six seven six seven six. And that's all of our day two action. So you look at you know some of the narratives heading into our second round. As I mentioned, only four seeds have lost thus far. So there is a ton of opportunity for you know, prime time matches moving forward. And as fans of the game, that's what we have to all look forward to. You know some of the other things in terms of the young guys. They all continue to look good. Zverev, you know cruises in straight sets, as do Medvedev and Shorich, Kachnov, Chung, Diminauer, Opelka, Fritz, Tiafo, to name a few, all get wins, so... We see this generational shift. We are seeing these young guys make their moves now at the majors, and you know that is a good group if you're fans of the young guys on the ATP Tour to, to stick with because all of the, those guys have a ton of talent, and they all have chances in Round 3, or in Round 2, I should say, to play some really good matches. In fact, when we're talking about the matches to watch for Day 3... I've got four Americans penciled in. I've got Kevin Anderson, the number five seed, taking on Francis Tiafo, Marin Cilic, the sixth seed, taking on Mackie McDonalds. Gaël Monfils, the thirty seed, t- taking on Taylor Fritz. And Diego Schwartzman, the eighteen seed, taking on Dennis Kudla, who's obviously a little older than those first three guys, but still, these are prime time matches. This is the good stuff. This is why we love the majors because we're going to get to see all four of these in one day. You know, I don't know if I have an up—if Fritz beats Monfils, is that really an upset in 2019? I'm not exactly sure. I think of all these guys, he's probably got the best chance, then Kudla, then Mackie, and I think it's going to be really tough for Francis with just the way Anderson can attack anyone's game and the way he'll just attack that Tiafo forehand. Another one I'll take a flyer on, another young guy I didn't mention earlier, Yoshihito Nishioka, who took out Sangren in a really entertaining first round match. He matched up now with Karen Kachinov. Now, of course, Kachinov has the weapons to hit anyone off the court, and you worry with a guy like Nishioka. He is on the smaller side, so that may be an issue. But still, all five of these matches are must see tennis, and we only did three breakdowns today. It would not shock me if all five make an appearance on tomorrow's podcast. And then the last thing I'll say from day two, summarizing the round one experience I had, if I'm looking at this draw in terms of contenders and who I expect to move forward, you know, Djokovic looked great today against Kruger. Kruger fought, but, you know, it's Novak Djokovic. What are you going to do? Federer's looked good, as I mentioned. Uh, Chorich looked good. Zverev looked great. Nadal, a little bit on the creakier side, but still... Uh, Kevin Anderson. A lot of the names we expected to do well have done well, and I think you know, as I mentioned, we're going to be treated to some great tennis moving forward in this tournament. So be sure to stick along with us. I will also say, you know, if again, if you have missed any of our coverage, be sure to check out our website, CrackRackets.com we're keeping you up to date on everything the top social media posts the biggest matches the best results what matches to watch moving forward anything you can need you will find on that website so go give it a look maybe even set it as your home page because why not it's you know there's only four majors in the year when you can change it from cnn.com for one week um yeah, but with that, I want to give a shout-out to our super producers, Max Lanier and Daniel Westhoff, who have a f- of an editing job to do, as always. I will remind you, listeners, I will have my co-hosts back very soon, Max Rothman, Jamie McDonald, Matt Stokowiak. always have things to say, and I look forward to getting them back down in round two. But from our entire team at Cracked Rackets, I am your host, Alex Gruskin, and you know what we say to our fans. Hey, great shot, and we will see you in round two. Thanks, everyone.